I can't remember if I've shared this with you before or not, but I, I love starting new books. Um, there's something about, most of mine I, I get online now, so it gets delivered, which is very exciting. And, and you open it up and, and you smell it and you flick through the pages. Um, and then there's that moment where you decide, yep, this is, I'm going to start this one. And you open it up and you review the table of contents and you're, you're pumped, you're excited for what you're about to read next. Um, and, and the first 50 pages or so, the first couple of chapters, they can go really fast. But then you start to approach the middle. And, and the middle is really hard going. Um, the initial excitement has worn off, but you're not yet close enough to the end to, to get that second wind that really pushes you forward to, to finish it off. And so that's the point, around the middle, that's the point where I start a new book. <laughs> and so on my desk at work, you know, over there, there are about five books with bookmarks about halfway through. Uh, there's another one in my bag. Um, there's at least three on my Kindle. I think I'm listening to two audio books and I couldn't even tell you how many books are started on my shelves at, at, at home. I love starting new books. <laughs> but I do also love finishing them. Because with finishing them, there's then this good sense of satisfaction and, and accomplishment. Do I need to do something, Richard? There we go. Um, and in fact, here's the, ups here's the upside of starting so many books. When you start so many and you've got so many about halfway through, when I discipline myself just to finish them, I can finish a lot of books in a really quick period of time. And so really great satisfaction there. Well, for us today, um, we've spent time in recent weeks considering the names of Jesus. Jesus the name above all other names. And that culminated with Easter last weekend. And so now we're returning to a book that we started last year. Uh, and that's the book of Acts. We got more than halfway through. So I've been um, a little bit unwell, so I'm probably going to be drinking a fair bit through this. I hope that's okay. Actually, even if it's not, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so Acts, we got a good way through it last year. And the plan is we're going to finish that book now uh, over the next couple of months. And we're going to continue to see what the experience of the early church, how that speaks to us and to our situation today. See, in Acts, we have seen, you know, as a bit of a recap, we have seen the birth and the growth of the church. We saw its origins in Jerusalem as the Spirit of God came upon the Jesus followers and enabled them to proclaim and to demonstrate the, the saving power of God. We saw persecution come. Persecution that forced the church out of Jerusalem into what their mission was, to go into all of Judea and all of Samaria and, and ultimately, as we see throughout the book, to the ends of the earth. We saw the church broaden from what was seen initially as just this kind of Jewish sect to include people of all nations. We saw the radical conversion of Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, but who was saved by God to become a planter of churches. And it's Saul's story now known as Paul, that we are picking up today uh, as we continue to follow through. So we are in Acts chapter 17. So if you've got your Bible or, or your phone, get that open to there. 
In this chapter, Acts 17, we follow Paul going to three cities and we witness his efforts to share the good news of Jesus in each place. And as we see him in each of these cities, we're going to come away with four principles for for us in our own mission uh, of, of sharing Jesus with others. So if you've got them open there now, we'll read from verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, When Paul and his companions, so he's travelling with, with at least Silas, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphilipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and raise, rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a number of prominent women. Now Paul had been in Philippi prior to this, and he came to Thessalonica, which was this major seaport, second largest uh, Greek city at the time. If you remember from way back when, when Paul was in Philippi, he didn't go to the synagogue there. Uh, the, the sense of it was that there were not enough Jews in that place for them to establish a synagogue. So he went down by the river to find a place of prayer, and, and that's where he started his mission there. But in Thessalonica, he's back to his custom, which is going to the synagogue. Obviously, there, there is a Jewish presence there, and he started his evangelistic mission there. And over three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them, with the Jews, from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And we considered this word a few weeks ago that means king, this promised king that they were longing for and looking forward to coming. And so he proves to them that Jesus is that Messiah, even though he was not the kind of Messiah that they had been expecting. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I pass on to you, uh, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what Paul was explaining and proving in Thess- Thessalonica that all that happened to Jesus had been according to the scriptures. So even though they were, had this uh, image of a Messiah in anticipation, he showed to them from the scriptures that the Messiah was one who needed to suffer and, and to rise. He was showing them that Jesus was the fulfillment of all their hopes for, for this king. And he was able to do so from these scriptures that they believed in. And I think for us, there's an important point uh, here, and that is, that is that we need to know the scriptures. We need to know what they say. Now, that doesn't mean we all have to go to Bible college or, and get some kind of degree in it, though, though you might enjoy doing that. But what it does mean is that we need to read. We need to read them. We need to read the Scriptures. Now, if you've ever tried to read the Bible before, you, know, you probably started at a logical place, which is the beginning, just like I do with all you know, the books that I get delivered to me. And so you probably started at Genesis, and that was all right. There's there's a fair bit of action there. And then Exodus, um, it starts pretty exciting, begins to bog down as it gets into all the details about the tabernacle and robes and and all that kind of thing. But, but, you know, you keep going, and you might even soldier on. You might even press through Leviticus, but then you get to Numbers. (laughs) And that's where the bookmark stays. (laughs) 
And I've been there more times than I, I care to admit, undeniably. So here's what I want to suggest to you in encouraging you, encouraging us all to read the scriptures. Just read the New Testament. Read a bit every day. Read again and again the accounts of Jesus and of what it then means to believe in him and to live in him. What it means for us as individual Christians and what it means for us as a church in our life together. And as you get familiar with the New Testament, then go back and start adding in some of the Old Testament. And suddenly you'll see all these points of connections. Suddenly you'll, you'll, make, you'll understand something afresh that you've been reading for, for ages because you've now got this deeper understanding of where it's come from in the Old. You'll add to your depth of the understanding of the New Testament as you read the Old. That's my, that's my suggestion to you. But, but the point of it is, is to read the Scriptures, read the Bible, get into this book, get familiar with them and know them. And to do so not as an academic exercise, but to know the Messiah, Jesus, that they reveal. And because this is important, because as we share about Jesus with others, so many people have a limited or an inaccurate understanding of what the Bible actually says. And so this is what Paul was doing as he shared in the synagogue. He was helping them to more fully, more accurately understand the scriptures. So it's not about being able to win some Bible knowledge battle, but about being able to know and communicate the truth of God and what God says through his word and to not you know, somehow misrepresent, uh, misrepresent that. So the first principle for us is, is to know the scriptures. Let, let's get reading them. And so reading on then, verse 5. Other Jews were jealous. So some Jews joined Paul and followed him, believed what he was saying, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. Uh, these men who have caused trouble all, all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the officials were thrown into tur tur turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. Well, here we see another important thing, another important principle for us to, to realise. And that is that we need to expect trouble and resistance. Here we are as Christians, you know, we're, we're living as good lives as we can according to God's word. And we want others to know of life and of salvation in Christ. And yet, instead of being welcomed... Instead of being celebrated, instead of being invited in to, hey, tell me about this, all this good stuff that, that you're living out, instead we get targeted, we get victimised. And the thing is, we are, we're often surprised by this, but we shouldn't be. Paul, to his friend Timothy, writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in Thessalonica, we see why this persecution is the case. See, Christians proclaim and live under a different king. We live as part of another kingdom. 
We saw this a few weeks ago when we considered the name of Jesus as Messiah or as Christ. By naming Jesus Messiah, we're naming him King. We're putting the the crown on, on his head. And we hold him then as the highest authority in our lives. And so to the individuals and to the governments of this world that want nothing to do with Jesus, we proclaim a rival king who then threatens their authority. We see that in the, in the birth story of Jesus. When, when the Magi came to King Herod and asked, where is this one who has been born the king of the Jews? They, they sought this out in the scriptures and realised it was Bethlehem and so off they went. But Herod then sent his soldiers to kill all the boy children under two years of age in Bethlehem so that they, they could not grow up to be a threat to his own rule and authority. He didn't want any other rival king uh, stepping up to challenge him. And so for us, when we see things, certainly in Victoria, past like the conversion um, therapy bill around that, when we see things like marriage equality, when we see the, the strong LGBTQI political agenda, none of this should surprise us. Things like churches being under tighter gathering restrictions than football games or theatre shows should not surprise us. We should expect trouble and resistance to our message and to our way of life because we are living under a different king who threatens all other rival authorities. So, after this then, after what happened to to Jason and the believers in his house, Paul and Silas are then sent on to another city. We read on from verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Now, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Remember, this is Paul's custom. He starts with the Jews and reasons with them from the scriptures. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed. As also, sorry, hold on a sec. Just read for yourselves. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. As a result, many believed, as also did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But. When the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. You see these things. Um, don't hang around me after church. Just keep, keep more than your 1.5 metres distance, I think, it would be the principle today. Um, but, but here we, we see the same things that, things at work. There is trouble and resistance in the face of the gospel being shared. But there's also, from the Bereans, this diligent seeking to know and to understand the scriptures. This is why, like when David and myself or anyone else preach, we want you to have your Bibles open. We want you to have the scriptures there before you on, on your phones. Not just so that you're reading along, 
you know, in case you're, you're, you take it in more by reading it than, than by hearing it, though that's true. But we want you to have it open so that you can be sure that um, what we are saying is true and accurate to the Scriptures. Don't just believe everything that we say to you, as easy as that might make our lives. Test it out. Look at the Scriptures. Is what we're saying true and consistent to, to what's going on here? So... Um, that's why we want you always to encourage you to open your Bibles. And do you know what? As a preacher, there's nothing more satisfying than hearing people flick their pages. So phones just don't cut it in, in, that, in that regard. So if you've got a Bible, bring it along. Let's, let's hear the pages flick. Speaking of pages, verse 16. While Paul was then waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, uh, inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this then is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophet, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Well, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, that he's like an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Well, in Athens, Paul continues his practice. He continues reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. 
But we also see him step out of the walls of the synagogue and go into the marketplace to engage with people there. That then leads him to speaking at the Areopagus. I'm probably saying that wrong, but you know. Um, but it's also, it's also a place that's known as Mars Hill. There, all sorts of people come together to hear and to talk about the latest ideas. And, and what Paul shares with them is not that they need to know something new, but that they need to know something true. And so starting with their own cultural longing, um, you know, of, of covering all bases in worship and quoting their own, prophet, own poets to them, he tells them about the God who they are ignorant of, the God who is the creator and the sustainer of all things, the God who is the ruler over all, the God who is actually knowable because he has revealed himself the God who is the father of all life and, and from whom our own life comes, and the God who is then both judge but also the saviour from that judgment. And notice his, the approach that Paul takes. With the Jews, he starts in their synagogue and with their scriptures showing them that Jesus is the Messiah. But with the Greeks, he starts in their common meeting place and with their philosophies and with their, their longings and with their culture, and he grounds then um, all of that in the larger story of God. He was not a one-size-fits-all evangelist, um, but he understood his audience and he tailored his message accordingly. I think likewise for us, the principle for us, and this goes back to uh, the series of messages that David preached as he started here about uh, being a blessing to our neighbours, the principle for us is that we need to listen to the story of others and find the points of connection with them. So Paul spent time in the city with the people, noticing the idols, listening to the current poetry, and he used all of this to shape the message that he then spoke to them. He didn't start with sin and judgment. He didn't even start with the scriptures, but he connected with their religious spirit, and he pointed that then in the right direction as he then talked to them about who God is. One of the biggest idols for us, uh, I would say, for people in our society today is personal happiness. There's such a, a longing and desire for that. Happiness is what then guides so much of our decision making. If we're unhappy with the relationship, a job, a situation, well, you know, you're unhappy, so walk away from it, find a new one. Or, or if something new or different will make us happy, we pursue that. To try to prove from, from such a, to such a person, someone who's, who's in this pursuit of happiness, to try to prove to such a person from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, it's, it's totally going to miss them. It's going to be unhelpful at the least, if not actively counterproductive, because it misses their story, misses where they're coming from. But to talk to them about how God you know, wants us to be happy, but the path to that happiness is not one that they may expect. That the path to the blessed life that God has for us is actually often through suffering and poverty and, and humility and all sorts of other things like that. But, but he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be happy, but it's through a different path. That's, that's a much more helpful approach to take. We need to listen to their story and to find then the connections between their story and the larger story of the gospel. And as we do so, the fourth point that I have for us, the fourth principle for us, is that we need to present Christ 
in, in our words and in our deeds, we need to present Christ as winsomely as possible. Uh, I'll take a drink before this one. I remember talking to a young adult who identified herself as gay. And she was reluctant to tell that to me at first because she knew that I was a pastor and um, a previous church experience had, you know, not gone well for her, basically, let's say that. She'd been burnt by another church experience. But, but as I listened to her, I could hear in her story these two conflicting desires, these two conflicting even identity issues. One was that she wanted to love God and Jesus, and the other was that she was attracted to people of the same sex. And, and these two, for her, in her experience, they just felt so incompatible, and so she had to do away with one. But doing away with either one was not an easy, pleasant, um, good choice. E- either choice had its cost. And she ended up choosing, you know, in that context, though, to, to give away God. And as I talked with her, I shared with her that the people that Jesus spent all his time hanging around with, they were sinners. And I encouraged her not to give up entirely on Jesus because even though I don't know what it might look like for her, he always has room around his table for another sinner. The thing I thought about afterwards, uh, I didn't think of it at, at the time, you know, you always have the best comebacks, you know, an hour later. But the thing I thought about afterwards is that while Jesus welcomes everyone around his table, he expects that them being there will, will change them. That Peter will change from being this impetuous, speak first and, and think later kind, kind of guy to a solid and steady leader of the church. He expects that the rich young ruler will give up his wealth that was holding him back from really loving God. He expects that Matthew, spending time around Jesus' table, will stop his extorting people and taking extra taxes from them and instead that he'll respond in a generous spirit and just take what's required. He expects that the Pharisees, as they come around the table, that they would humble themselves and show mercy and compassion. He expects that the woman caught in adultery would go and sin no more. And all of that, though, is for Jesus to do, not not for me. Jesus welcomes all around his table, but then in coming there, he expects them to to change, but that's his work. But for me, in this interaction with this this young adult, um, I had to overcome her resistance. I was helped by knowing the scriptures. I was able to talk to her about Jesus and and who he spent the time with. Uh, As I listened first to her story before I responded, I was then able to try to present Christ to her as winsomely uh, as possible. Doing that doesn't mean backing away from the truth, but it means not being a jerk about it, basically. It means treating others as broken, sinful people in need of a saviour, just as I am. So we've seen then through Acts 17, as Paul went and continued his mission that Jesus had entrusted him to, to share the gospel with all the world, we see from his experience four things for, for us to know and to take on, that we need to know the scriptures, that we need to expect trouble and resistance, 
that we need to listen first to, to their story and, and connect with that. And that all of that comes under the umbrella, really, of the fourth one, of just presenting Christ as winsomely as, as we can. I mean, Jesus didn't have to go on any advertising campaign. People flocked to him. There was something about who he was and how he was that drew these sinners and tax collectors to him. And so may we, uh, as we seek to present him to others, may we go about it in such the same way. So let's, let's pray together. We're going to pray for those that we come into contact with, that we would be able to share the message of Jesus with them as, as Paul did. And to pray for ourselves that we would know the scriptures, that we would expect this resistance, that we would listen first rather than speak and that we'd present Christ yeah, as the beautiful saviour that he is. Let's, let's pray.